Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Brendan. How's your week going so far? Pretty good. Picking up. Uh, getting a little bit busier than previously, so it's always great to see. Yeah, it's good to have you back. The last time we spoke, I think it was 18 months ago, somewhere around there, and it was a bit chaotic with, with COVID and all, but now we've gone through some more crazy market upheaval with the recession and all that jazz, so... Give us a quick lay of the land. What's changed in the last sort of 18 to 24 months in terms of the job market, a recruiter's perspective and an employer's perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the market's a lot different now than it was a year ago, which is different than it was six months ago. Um, You know, my experience as an external recruiter, I'm kind of seeing one corner of the market and it's it's almost kind of anecdotal. It's really hard to get... uh, real data on this type of stuff because the market moves so quickly and uh, from company to company, even within different departments, um, there's layoffs in one department and then hiring in a different department. Uh, I have spoken to a few recruiter friends of mine that that just to kind of get a a pulse on the industry. uh, Again, sort of anecdotally, just a few of us getting together and and putting our, our heads together to figure out what's going on. Uh, seems like things have slowed down quite a bit. Um, I would say late last year into this year, uh, halfway through the year now, uh, there is still a lot of opportunity out there, but obviously everybody has seen the layoffs in, in uh, the news and LinkedIn and all that good stuff. Um, I think sometimes people get a distorted picture of how many jobs are really still out there and how many aren't and how many layoffs are happening because it, you know, basically the, the loudest news is what you tend to see, uh, which is, you know, the big layoffs at Amazon and, and stuff like that. So um, there's still opportunity out there, but there have been quite a few people, especially at the larger companies that have been laid off. And I think that's driving uh, more, I think, people flooding the market than we had, for instance, a year ago. So there is more competition for jobs right now. Um there are still jobs out there. Certain industries are, are going to be uh, hiring more than others. Uh, I think venture capital is kind of, um, they've slowed down in their uh, spending, which has uh, caused hiring to slow down with the VC-backed startups and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of companies tightening their belts, uh, being less likely to work with external help, external recruiters. A lot of companies trying to do more with less right now. So, uh, you know, they're really heavily leveraging their internal talent acquisition teams. In some cases, they may be laying off some of the talent acquisition folks and running on a skeleton crew. And uh, if they are still hiring, really filling up the plates of those recruiters that are still there. Uh, And we see the same thing on the cybersecurity engineering and talent side, not the recruiting side. Uh, Again, companies trying to do more with less. Um, people working more. I think burnout's probably getting higher than it was six months ago. So uh, 
crazy times for sure. And uh, so we're, I, I would say hiring is somewhere in the neighborhood, at least in my experience of what it was like during COVID, uh, maybe not quite as bad. Uh, that, you know, anecdotally, I saw during COVID, we basically had nothing to work on for four or five months. Um, it's not quite as bad as it was then, but, uh, you know, it certainly slowed down quite a bit. I know last time we spoke, we covered the employee side and best practices for getting into the workforce. But this time on my new project, we're going to be focusing more on the employer side and how to recruit talent for your startup specifically. But for those who don't know you, maybe you want to give a quick overview in what you're up to. Absolutely. So yeah, uh, I've actually been in and around the startup world for about nine years now. I've been uh, recruiting in cybersecurity for about nine years. And the whole time I've been uh, working with a lot of startups. So I got my start in the industry uh, as an internal recruiter and HR person, basically ran and stood up an HR department for a small consulting firm. Uh, at the time I joined them, we were like 15 employees. Uh, that was back in July of 2014. Um, and so uh, in all of that time, uh, I was there for about two and a half years, uh, hired over 100 people in two and a half years, uh, starting out as employee number 15. So that was a pretty wild ride. Uh, from there, started uh, couple of uh, security recruiting firms. I'm on my second one now. And uh, we most of our clients, I would say, are uh, small and medium-sized businesses, some venture capital backed, some not, um, but a lot of smaller companies that don't necessarily have the name recognition, brand recognition that some of the larger companies do. So we have to get kind of creative in you know, how we really sell our clients and uh, make people aware on the candidate side in the market uh, what's great about them. Uh, and so we take a very sort of tailored approach and uh, spend a lot of time getting to know our clients and, um, you know, really make sure that we're we're serving as an extension of their brand uh, the best that we can. This influx of job seekers now through layoffs in the market, what sort of challenges are you hearing from founders? You know, how is it affecting hiring? Yeah, I think in a market like this where you have more people out applying to jobs, it becomes even more important to make sure that you have appropriate screening procedures in place, that you have some sort of HR or recruiter or somebody that's actually going through all of those applications or resumes, um, parsing through and making sure that the the qualified people, the ones that are truly qualified, are actually getting through to the hiring manager or the founder, uh, if you're early stage enough, and actually getting into the interview process. Um, when you have so many people applying uh, and you're not well accustomed sometimes like recruiters are to go through resumes very quickly, you know, I only spend five to 10 seconds on a resume, so I'm able to go through thousands in a day or thousands of LinkedIn profiles. Uh, and as recruiters, we kind of have it drilled into our heads. Volume is everything. You really need to be able to get through things quickly and be efficient. Um, but if you're a hiring manager, maybe you're not so used to doing that. Um, so uh, ideally, you would have somebody on the front end screening all of those folks. So I would say the, you know, the, the unique challenge in this market is just going through is all the people that are approaching you uh, if you have like a job posted online. Uh, I've always been a big advocate of going out to the market and finding people that are a good fit for your job uh, versus relying on applications and people coming to you. It's a outbound versus inbound focus. 
um, that's sometimes tough to do if you know you're you're the founder and you're the one doing the recruiting uh, to spend that time to go out there. Maybe you don't have the tools. Maybe you don't have LinkedIn Recruiter, you know, to go out there and find people. Uh, in which case, there's there's some other things that you can do. But yeah, I would say volume is probably the biggest challenge, and then actually parsing through all of those and narrowing it down to people that are actually qualified because you get oftentimes a lot of false positives or uh, unqualified people uh, with that giant influx of resumes that you're probably getting. You talk a lot about separating HR from recruitment being different functions. So first of all, as a startup, you probably don't have both of those functions. So what would your recommendation be for startups? And then if you're a bit more mature, why you should separate those two functions? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, sometimes you can get lucky and, and hire somebody that's got a little bit of HR, a little bit of talent acquisition experience. Uh, the problem you run into there, I think, is uh, if somebody's okay in both, they're not going to be really an expert in either one. It's tough to find somebody that's both an expert in the paperwork side, the HR side, as well as selling candidates on your company. Uh, so that's kind of why I think it, they should be separate functions. Uh, HR is more of a paperwork, administrative, back office function. Yes, it deals with people, but at the end of the day, it's it's more administrative in nature, whereas the uh, recruiting function in my mind is more of a sales type of uh, position. One, they need to sell the candidate on your company. And two, they need to sell uh, the candidate to the hiring manager. And, and if you know, you're the founder, that would be you in, in a lot of cases. So um, that's kind of how I see the distinction as far as, you know, if you're pretty early stage as a company, um, best thing you can do, I think in a lot of cases, and I do this myself as a, you know, small recruiting firm owner, uh, is outsource some things. Uh, so you can get a, a PEO, I forget exactly what that stands for, uh, uh, preferred employment organization, something like that. Basically, they can handle your HR and your payroll and your workers comp and stuff like that. It all goes through one company, relatively inexpensive. They usually operate off of uh, dollars of payroll. So, you know, it's it's a portion of it. It scales relative to the size of your company. So that's kind of a good solution to get something that will scale with you until you can get somebody uh, that's, uh, once you get to a certain size, then you can maybe hire that person full time. But until then, you can do the, the PEO uh, thing and, you can go through a PEO broker. My buddy Logan is a PEO broker and he, he finds the best match of, of PEOs for a given company in their industry and stuff like that. Um, now, if you're you know a founder and you're still pretty early stage and you need to find some good people, maybe your first um, couple of executives or maybe a, a director to handle some service delivery, for instance, if you're doing uh, consulting or software development or something like that, um, best thing you can do is is really just leverage LinkedIn and, and your existing network. Uh, chances are, if you're a founder and you have a good business-to-business -business idea, you've probably been on LinkedIn for a while. If not, uh, no time like the present. Uh, I spend basically all of my time as a recruiter on LinkedIn. That's where the majority of uh, the, the professionals uh, out there are. Um, oftentimes, the, the best candidates out there, whether they're you know, individual contributors all the way up to executives, they're not necessarily out there applying to jobs. Uh, a lot of times they are fat and happy where they're at, so to speak, and 
you know, they're relatively well compensated and you really have to approach them with something unique uh, that's going to that's going to pique their interest. Um, so, you know, I always say that really the, the best candidates out there are probably going to be passive, not actively looking. Uh, so the best thing you can do is is reach those passive candidates. And best way to do that, I think, is through LinkedIn. Uh, depending on what you're looking to hire, though, there's there's a couple of uh, other resources. Uh, if, for instance, you're building a security operations center and you need to hire a bunch of analysts, uh, best thing you can do is go on the Discord channels. Uh, there is dozens of uh, Discord channels out there for all different topics. Some are devoted uh, to you know getting a new certification. A lot of times for more entry level folks. Uh, some are uh, blue team related, some are offensive security related. Uh, you wouldn't think so, but that's a very common place for uh, technical professionals to hang out these days is Discord channels. Same thing with uh, Reddit of all places. Uh, there are a bunch of subreddits for you know technology or industry uh, all over the place. Oftentimes that's where the most passionate people are hanging out. Um, you know they're they're spending their off time and their downtime. Uh, on these subreddits uh, talking about what they love to do. And that's a great place to find very passionate people that might be sort of diamonds in the rough that uh, you may may not necessarily have out applying to, you know, a bunch of positions on the job boards. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you can do a, a post on the job boards or, you know, LinkedIn, I would say it's probably the best place to do it. You know, but there's also Indeed, Monster, Career Builder, Ladders, all of the above. Ladders is a little bit more... Um, executive focused i believe generally folks over 100k i think is is kind of what they say um but those are options as well problem you run into there is a lot of times those job postings can be kind of pricey uh that's why i say linkedin is a good place to to work from because you can send people connection requests for free uh if you do want to spend a little bit of extra money and go out there and find people yourself uh linkedin recruiter is a great way to do that Pretty expensive, though. Uh, actually, access to any of the job boards or LinkedIn recruiter, they're all pretty expensive. They're all at least five, 6000 a year uh, and go considerably up from there, depending on how many seats you need. So if, if you do have an HR person on board uh, and you want them recruiting, but you also want to be able to view candidates within the platform, you'll have to get two seats. And then it's you know at least 10000 uh, to do that. So hopefully that's a, a few good ideas for your audience. Yeah, great. So just to recap from what I can recall, <laughs> hire, well, your recommendation would be to go with a recruiter versus HR as an early stage startup with maybe some HR experience. A founder should be involved in hiring the early executive team, kind of like founder-led sales, founder-led recruiting, and don't dismiss communities and other channels outside of the traditional channels like job boards, because you may find good talent, diamonds in the rough, as you said over there. Having said all that, I wanted to come back for a second to the executive recruitment. Can you go a little deeper for us on how best you've seen early stage startups recruit those early executives without the necessary brand recognition? Yeah, in that case, it becomes, I think, more about who you know and people that know you as a person, as the founder or as one of the early executives. Um, people want to work with people they enjoy working with or, or you know, uh, conversing with or socializing with. 
that's where I think uh, in-person events are really the place to be if you're looking to hire uh, early executives for your firm. Uh, so going to in the cybersecurity space, I'm thinking specifically of ISSA or ISC squared, uh, ISACA, places that other people in your industry would hang out, uh, networking events, um, you know, trying to meet up with people that are in your LinkedIn network in person or, you know, virtual happy hours uh, for your industry, stuff like that. Basically, you just want to get in front of uh, as many people in your industry as you can. Uh, you'll quickly discover who you enjoy working with and who you don't uh, just by talking to people a little bit, especially if they have a couple drinks in them. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to really understand, uh, I think, somebody's personality and potentially view any red flags uh, that, that might be underlying the surface. That's always good to know, uh, making sure that you're getting in business with the right people, that um, there are no major red flags. Uh, I've I've had that happen myself where I got into business with with somebody that uh, long term I ended up regretting getting into business with. And uh, I really wish that I had done a little bit more vetting up front, uh, you know, hung out with this person in a social setting more. So that's why I think those networking events, they can really help that sort of thing. You also mentioned working with recruiters in your niche industry. So how important do you see that as part of your hiring strategy? Uh, it's extremely important. And I, I don't just say that because I'm recruit, a recruiter. Uh, my company's tagline is bridging the talent gap one connection at a time. And I believe a lot of the reason we have this talent gap, uh, which is basically in my mind a disconnect between uh, the people that are looking for jobs and uh, the companies that are looking to hire candidates. Um, there's there's always something in the way of that, it seems like. A lot of times that's recruiting process. Uh, a lot of times that's uneducated recruiters where they just don't understand what they're looking for. Um, maybe they're a generalist recruiter. Say you're working in a large organization or even small organization. You hire re a recruiter, but they're not necessarily an expert in your niche. Um, that can be an issue because they're not going to understand the technology. They're not going to understand uh, the intangibles. So to have somebody that's, you know, recruiting marketing people, accounting, uh, you know, technical in my industry, security engineers, those are all completely different skill sets. And uh, you're more likely to find somebody that can recruit both marketing and accounting people than you are to find somebody that can recruit accounting people, but then also a security architect. Uh, those are just so vastly different. And you have to understand a lot of technology to be able to effectively recruit a security architect. Uh, I don't think a lot of people realize how long it takes to develop an industry specialty as a recruiter. Uh, I'm still learning stuff every day and the cybersecurity industry moves so quickly. Uh, I, I'm, I would be, I guess, the closest you could think of as, as, a, as an expert in cybersecurity recruiting, but there's so much I just don't know. And, and every day I'm learning something new. Uh, I've trained a couple of recruiters now in cybersecurity and it takes, I would say, a good at least a good year of handholding and shadowing and constant training sessions, informal and formal, uh, and uh, just constant work to, to keep on top to make sure this person is actually understanding the industry. Uh, there's so many things that you don't think about that would be important when recruiting somebody like motivators. What's a common motivator for a cybersecurity architect? What might they be frustrated with uh, knowing 
having talked to so many of their peers, what, what's a common pain point in this particular niche within the niche, the industry? So, uh, yeah, it, it just takes a really long time. So if you do hire a generalist, it, uh, it'll take you as a founder, I think, in the beginning, ideally, uh, some extra time on the front end to make sure that your recruiter knows what they're looking for, uh, that you can educate them on the intangibles that, that you're looking for, make sure they understand at least at a high level, you know, what technology stack they need to be looking for, stuff like that. So, but that's going to save you more time in the long run because you're not going to be wasting time uh, in interviews talking to people that aren't fits. You know, if, if you've screened out two people every week because you better educated the recruiter spending an hour up front, uh, you save two hours, say, every week for every two candidates you don't talk to uh, that aren't a fit. So that's kind of the way I see it. Would you say there's a workaround to that? Let's say your in-house recruiter or founder could just weed out the resumes that aren't written well. Um, that can work to a degree. What ends up happening sometimes, though, is you'll end up weeding out people that would be a fit, but maybe they don't have the best resume writing skills or uh, some of the, the best employees that my clients have ended up having didn't have the best resumes or they didn't explicitly call out in their resume that specific tool that they were working with or that sp specific function that they were performing. Uh, a lot of what recruiters do were, were reading between the lines in a lot of cases. It's not so much about what's actually there. Sometimes we'll look at what's not there or uh, we'll think of other terms that could be related to what we're actually seeing in the resume. Uh, so a lot of it is pattern recognition, and it takes a really long time to hone that, that ability to recognize patterns. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to do it very quickly and you have a lot of applicants uh, looking for keywords is a simple, quick way to do it. Um, and some keyword recognition is better than others. And again, the longer you train a recruiter or you train yourself as a founder to look for those keywords, the better you'll get at, at recognizing those patterns and things that they are there and aren't there and all that good stuff. So that makes sense. And then continuing on the thread of job descriptions, how important are job descriptions? Would you say the pendulum has swung now to favor the employer since there's such a flood of candidates in the market? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I think a lot of employers are being more selective or they're expecting more out of people. Uh, I hear a lot about return to office and how that's a big push right now, especially for a lot of larger corporations. Um, people haven't changed in their desire to work remotely, though. Uh, that continues to be something that everybody, at least in my industry, is looking for. Uh, it's a real exception to the rule. The people that don't want to uh, or that do want to come into the office on occasion, uh, you know, and see people in person, that tends to be the exception, not the rule. Um, so that's just one thing that I, I think is super important, despite the fact that employers think now that they can get away with RTO. Um, it's it's still a desire to be able to work remotely. So I'd caution any founders out there uh, about the RTO policies. It, it may work against you in, in getting the best people in the industry. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say employers have a little bit more leverage right now. Um, interview processes, it seems like, are getting a little bit longer Uh Job descriptions, I haven't really noticed changed a whole lot since the market has slowed down. Uh, I continue to think that job descriptions are super important, though, from the employer standpoint, um, because 
less people apply, um, you know, the, the less chances you have to hire the right person. Uh, the more qualified the person, the less likely they are to apply if it's a bad job description or if they're, you know, turned off by something. So, so for job descriptions, I always say to have a good balance of things because ultimately it's not just a description of what you want. It should also be a description of why you're a great place to work and to attract the attention of somebody that would work for you. So I think you should have a good balance of, um, you know, at the top about us as a company, about the role. Uh, then I would go into, you know, requirements for the role, must-haves, nice-to-haves, definitely split those out. If you have a long list of things that, you know, people feel like they only meet a small portion of that, they're just not going to apply or reach out to you. Uh, so you want to keep that, especially the must-have list, pretty small. I generally say less than five bullet points for the must-haves. Then your nice-to-haves can be a little bit longer. Um, and then I, I read some statistic where uh, women are much less likely actually to apply if they meet um, a, a certain threshold of requirements or percentage of the requirements than men are. Men are more likely to apply to a position um, if they don't meet all the requirements versus women. They, they basically feel like they have to meet all the requirements on average. So uh, that's another uh, key consideration. If you are looking to hire more women, be more cognizant of how many uh, requirements you have on that job description. And then at the the end, I always say, have some something to balance out what you're asking of people. So this is what we need. This is what you should have. Here's what we're willing to offer you at the, at the end. So perks and benefits. Um, you know, if you can put the salary on there, I know a lot of people appreciate that. There's a eternal debate whether or not that's a good idea to actually have it on the job description. Uh, personally, I'm in the camp that I don't think it's good to have it on there. Uh, because if somebody doesn't fit in that salary band, they're just not going to apply. So that door is closed to that candidate. Whereas if there is some flexibility in that range and they don't know that and they didn't apply because the salary range was posted, um, you just missed out on that person that otherwise could have been a fit for it. Uh, and then it helps too to generate interest with people uh, explicitly listing out what your benefits are, what's your 401k match, how much of the Healthcare premiums do you pay? Who does it go through? You know, some of that can be proprietary. So you have to be, you know, a little bit careful about you know, giving too much info. Uh, maybe have two different versions of your, your job description. One for people that you've actually talked to, other, you know, to, to post publicly. But basically, you want to have something to generate interest in the candidate. If you have, uh, you know, weekly get togethers or an annual company party, um, other perks like, you know, technology allowance, cell phone allowance, um, you know, work from home stipend is, is something a couple of our clients have had. Any of those little perks and benefits, they kind of give a, a candidate sort of a wow factor. And ultimately, the goal of the job description, especially if you're posting it publicly, is to generate interest with that candidate. Uh, so again, it should be a good balance. Yeah, and kind of coming back to the comment I made about the pendulum swinging towards the favor of employers, just because you have the power now, it doesn't mean you should abuse that because it leads directly to our next topic, which is retention. If you're going to be an a-hole <laughs> about how you treat people in bad times, when the good times come back, you're going to lose all those good people because you took advantage of, of current market trends. Well, yeah, and, and to kind of 
um, I guess, build on that. And this wasn't something that you'd mentioned specifically, but uh, especially when you're first starting out as a startup, your employer brand is is so crucial and you're building it. You, you really can't destroy your brand before it's gotten off the ground from an employer standpoint. So uh, sometimes it can be tempting if you have, you know, thousands of applicants not to get back to everybody because you only have so much time in the day. Um, but I would encourage people to, um, you know, whether it's having an assistant parse through the resumes and at least you know, one click reject people in your applicant tracking system or whatever software you're using. Uh, just make sure that you're getting back to everybody. Uh, because like I said, before you have a, a brand that people know very well, it's even more important to make sure that people don't have a bad experience when they're applying or, or go through your interview process. It's even more crucial. If somebody's actually met with somebody at your firm, uh, even if they weren't selected, you want to make sure you get back to them. Uh, even if it's just an email, a lot of people appreciate phone calls, but even just an email would be a huge improvement over the vast majority of, of people getting ghosted by everybody these days. It's it's all I see on LinkedIn is, you know, I applied to 200 positions and never heard anything back. So you can really set yourself apart as a startup by doing that. Um, so that was that was just uh, one aside. I wanted to make sure I, I cleared up. Uh, I'm sorry. What was the original question? We got off topic there. No, that's a great that's a great addition. I was saying how important or like you know how underestimated is retention and just in general. I think I've heard lots of numbers being thrown out there about the average cost of like replacing an employee being in the hundred to hundred and fifty k per employee. Yeah, and it's something I talk about on my podcast a lot is employee retention. Uh, it is so crucial. And yeah, the statistic I've heard is that it costs six months of somebody's salary to replace them. Um, you know, even if you're talking about a, a $30,000 a year job, that's a 15K right there. And, you know, if you're working with an external recruiter, it's even more because you have to pay us. Um, you know, if it's somebody that's early on in your, your growth cycle as a founder and, and you're a startup and you have somebody leave, they have so much proprietary knowledge that you spent time, uh, you know, building in this person and they know so much about your company. It's going to be so hard to replace that. Even if you do find somebody else, it's going to take them another six or 12 months to accrue all that information that that person is leaving with, um, not to mention, you know, the potential uh, issues with going to a competitor or, you know, having to worry about proprietary information or non-competes or anything like that. Uh, employee retention is so huge. So not just the dollars and cents of it, um, but also what it can do to uh, employee morale. If you, you know, you're a really small team, you're an early stage startup, you have somebody leave. Um, what's that going to do to everybody's confidence in the company? Uh, I've seen bunch of different times because I've kind of been on the other side of that as a recruiter. Uh, somebody will leave a team and then all of a sudden it upsets the morale of the team and then other people start leaving. And it's like a snowball rolling downhill where eventually it just picks up steam and the whole team is gone. So especially when you're a small team, small company, really need to be cognizant of if people are happy or not. And if somebody leaves, make sure you kind of touch base with all your current employees and figure out, okay, did that really upset the boat or are we still okay here? Is anybody else at, at risk of leaving? Um, and I think sometimes when you're a smaller company, it's it's easier to uh, keep your finger on that pulse, you know, to understand the, the health of your culture and stuff like that. Uh, but I can't stress enough how important it is because, uh, yeah, it's going to 
cost you a bunch if somebody leaves. And then we also spoke offline about proactive recruiting versus reactive. Can you explain what you mean by that and what, what goes into that? Yeah, and I, I kind of touched on that uh, in the beginning here, but uh, basically I'm a big advocate of going out to the market and finding people that are fits for your jobs uh, versus posting a job and then uh, sort of reactively hiring who comes to you. That's one aspect of it. Uh, another aspect would be uh, hiring opportunistically and not just reacting to, oh crap, we had somebody leave. Now we got to hire somebody immediately to backfill that person. We weren't planning on them leaving. So again, they're leaving with all this information that you know it, it took us so long uh, to teach that person. So uh, I think constant succession planning is super important. Uh, for every level of your organization. Uh, one thing that I had discussed on my own podcast, actually, with one guest, had a really cool idea where basically, if you're doing succession planning at all levels of your organization, if you promote somebody, you automatically have somebody else underneath them to promote into that role that they just left to get promoted. So if you're doing that for everybody and you're constantly mentoring people at all different levels of your organization, then if somebody leaves, you have somebody ready to take their place and then you can backfill that more junior position, then a lot of cases, those are easier to fill than the more senior positions, uh, especially in like cybersecurity, for instance, the senior people are the ones that are in demand, not the juniors, not the entry level folks. So if you can kind of move that position down in the hierarchy of your company and hire somebody at the more junior stage, uh, it'll be much easier to backfill that person. You talk about the importance of building a campus recruiting program to build pipeline of talent for the long term. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it's something that takes a little bit of time and effort to get up and running. Uh, I started one with the startup that I started with uh, when I first entered the security industry. Uh, so it was a lot of time and, and um, effort invested on my part to get the thing stood up. Uh, but if you start with just one college, um, you can easily get in touch with the career center at the college figure out you know, what events you might be able to go to. Um, you can uh, talk to your marketing group and get some swag printed uh, and basically just get a couple of banners and a table and a, a tablecloth with your logo on it and, um, and get to one of these colleges. And you can easily, uh, for very little money invested, uh, end up hiring you know, a dozen people per semester. And that's a great way if you develop a formal training program to mentor these folks. Um, you know, take some of your more senior people that enjoy mentoring people, uh, get them to put on a training class. And then once you have that formal training for a couple of weeks, uh, get those folks in the field shadowing your more experienced people. And that's a good way to not only supply the industry with more people, uh, which is sort of an altruistic idea, uh, but also for your company, you're, you're kind of growing your own talent uh, and you're not relying on poaching people from other companies in the market, which can often be very expensive, very time consuming. Got to work with external recruiters in some cases because they, you know, they're specialists and they know what they're looking for. But if you develop your own, you can save a lot of those costs. You know, you don't have to pay 20 percent recruiting fees. You don't have to pay uh, sign on bonuses or anything like that. It can be much less expensive in the long run if you're willing to spend that, you know, that time up front to get that campus recruiting program stood up. 
and you know dollars and cents wise realistically you could hire a dedicated campus recruiter i would say for 40k or so uh find somebody that just has a little bit of recruiting experience that want a new challenge uh and throw them at the problem give them something to work on have you seen a shift in strategy around hiring this way like going back to hiring juniors and training them versus looking just for the best and most expensive talent? Well, my frame of reference is um, cybersecurity. And in, in, in this industry, uh, my experience has been that it's always been pretty, I guess the, the term is cannibalistic hiring. It's always been very zero sum. It's, you know, we, we got to find that experienced senior person. Uh, we can't afford to train anybody. Um, there's a sense that we're, we're all just so busy. We're all already overworked. We just don't have time to train a junior person. So that's kind of always been an issue. Um, and it continues to be as far as I can tell, at least in, in the security industry. Uh, I, I think uh, security industry needs to adapt to that, though, and, and change that to start to build that pipeline or else we're, we're all going to be worse off. Um, so all of that to say, I, I think it's still an issue. Uh, but, you know, I, as aforementioned, there's some real good benefits to to training those junior people. And two, you know, if they grow up in your organization, essentially as professionals, they are accustomed to your culture. You know, they they understand all understand expectations and all the intangibles. They're not bringing bad habits from somewhere else in the industry, um, which is another good thing. Um, and and you can really keep a close eye too on your culture that way. If everybody came up in their training class together. Uh, all the trainees, there tends to be some camaraderie there, people that, you know, started at the same place and, and time and all that good stuff. So, Have you worked with a few clients that have had success using this model of bringing in juniors with a semi-decent training program? Well, so there's a few examples I'm thinking of. I've worked with a lot of consulting firms over the years. Uh, when I first entered the industry, I worked for one uh, and like I said, I started a campus recruiting program there. And uh, by the time that was taken over by somebody else, we were hiring a dozen people every semester out of uh, FSU and uh, quickly expanded to a couple of other colleges. Once you get that infrastructure in place and you're up and running with one college, you can easily expand that same model out to other colleges. And in some cases, they actually use the same software uh, for managing um, those those candidates coming through the university system, which is kind of interesting. They use similar software. So um, that was a success story, I would say. Uh, the big four consulting firms are a great model of how they do it. Um, they're in some of the business fraternities while people are in class and they give presentations to the class. So they're generating interest with people well before they graduate. In a lot of cases, they'll hire interns to try before you buy, kind of uh, give somebody a summer internship and see how they perform. Are they really motivated? Uh, are they always looking to absorb things or are they just kind of in it to, to get the experience and move on? Uh, and then two, you know, like I said, you, you try before you buy, you get a sense of somebody's work ethic. And then it's a, it's a good way to stay even more deeply ingrained in the culture of the college too. Uh, the longer it goes on, the better relationships you develop the more events you go to, the more career fairs you're at, 
people start to develop a relationship with your brand again, which is super crucial when you're pretty early on. Well, this episode definitely didn't disappoint. So <laughs> kudos to you. Thank you so much for all the amazing insights you've given us. Before we like wrap up here today, is there anything we missed that you would like to add? No, I, I think that's about it. Uh, about it. If anybody is curious about uh, you know hiring and, and startups and stuff like that, I love to have a good conversation. So you know, hit me up on LinkedIn. Like I said, I spend pretty much all my time there. So yeah, I was just about to ask you to give a plug of like where people should connect and if they want to rack your brain a little more so we'll add your linkedin to the show notes thank you so much pete it was a pleasure and thank you for joining us on the founder pack absolutely thanks brendan thank you we hope you enjoyed this episode of the founder pack podcast with brendan rod part of the itsb magazine podcast network if you learned something new and this podcast made you think then share the channel and itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.